Hello, and welcome to Boss Talks, a weekly podcast where we chat with the bosses of the multifamily industry. Who are these bosses? They might be a manager of many, a leader with no title, or just passionate about what they do. Join our host, Evan Happel, Director of Marketing at Community Boss, as he talks with this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Boss Talks, a show where we like to elevate all the bosses of the multifamily industry. Today, we have a great guest. Teddy Abdelmalik, and he is somebody that's been in the student housing industry for quite a while, since about 2002. He's currently doing business development for Campus Life and Style, and he's based out of the Midwest in the state of Kansas, and he's a lot of great things to share. I'm excited to have him. Before we get there, though, I'm your host, Evan Happel. I'm with Community Boss. We have some great property management solutions when it comes to prop tech, managing all your physical aspects of your community, whether that's parking, amenities, or mapping, we've got you covered. So check us out. But with that being said, let's bring Teddy to the show. Hello. All right. Good afternoon. How are you, Evan? I'm doing great. I'm really oh. excited to have you. I Oh, we got a watcher. We got Terrence on the show. Looks like you've got a fan. Terrence so, is part of our crew, CLS crew. Terrence, awesome, what's up? Awesome. So, Teddy, thank you so much for being here. I really hope you had a restful holiday break. And if I saw correctly, I did a little snooping. You had some <laughs> exciting things happen recently. Yeah, yeah. November of 22, my wife and I, we had our first son, Frederick, named after my late father. So that was pretty special. And he's been just a bundle of joy. And they say the first baby is a trick baby because they're trying <laughs> to encourage you to have a second, which the second they say is a monster, but they're trying to allude to the fact that it's easy to ha have a kid. But I can tell you there's been some pretty, pretty late nights, pretty early morning. Yeah, that's standard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've got three boys. Oh, nice. If you have any questions about what it's like from one to the next... Of course, I'm going to solicit some information from you. Absolutely. Sure. And what you stated about trick baby, ours was a trick baby 100%. Uh, it's true. It's true. It's, it's not just, they're just not saying that. It, it it actually is. But no, he's been, he's been pretty easy going. We've been blessed to have him in our life now. He's just turned two months old. And I vowed I wasn't going to be the parent that tracks by the months. He's either a year and six months, 12 months, but I'm not going to do 18. He's 21 and a half months old. I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I was with you there. I always was like, why are we doing this? Like by the month now, <laughs> I guess it makes sense when it comes to like your behind the scenes stuff to making decisions on clothing and this and that, sure, but, sure. but your kid is also going to be off the mark there too, because he's going to, they're either going to be smaller or mm -hmm. bigger than their recommendation and yeah. yeah and the recommendation is like a three-month window too it's three to six months it's like, okay i guess he's gonna fit into it but yeah so he's he's already started to laugh and smile which was has been pretty awesome to witness and see him develop he's already grown immensely in the last two months that's great yeah congratulations to you and your you. wife thank you appreciate it i mean having kids it's a part of our 
story in general. It impacts us in a lot of ways. It changes who we are because it opens our eyes to for sure a new part of life and also how you balance your time and all the things. Yeah, it's a big deal. It definitely changes things and it changes yeah. your availability for things too. It's now I got to, now I got to go to things for my kid. Yeah, definitely. It changes the priorities of your life, right? You just have to prioritize differently and make sure he's a part of that. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. I'm excited that we have a crew that's trickled on so far and they're active in the chat and that's all nice. good. We've got Terrence, whom you know, Emily Hun, maybe you know her. Yeah. And yeah. Stephanie Anderson, she's been great and was is going to be on the show in a few months as well. Yeah, so. she's saying she's a mom of four, so she understands. <laughs> she, and she's great because she's very authentic in like how it impacts her and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks. Let's get real, people. No, I appreciate everyone uh, joining. Amber, welcome. So some of these folks that are joining are from previous lives. Evan? Oh yeah, we've got we've built a boss talk family, a little community, and it's been yeah, awesome. no, absolutely it's great, great. Yeah, we got Amber and Lori. They they've all been guests, and awesome. so really happy to be a part of that and be able to meet all these great people. Honestly, absolutely. But I want to kick it off before we really get into the nitty gritty, the professional stuff. <laughs> I just want to ask a few questions, just sure. kind of warm things up. Sure. One of the things I like to ask is for you personally, how do you like to build community, whether that's professionally and or personally in your life? Yeah, building community, I think, goes hand in hand with making a rapport with folks that you're interacting with. Like when I was like on the local site of property management, when I was on the day-to-day -day operations, more or less, it was more about knowing your residents' names or the people that you've been interacting with on a consistent basis on your property. And it just lends itself to be a different conversation that, you know, when you have a an issue with a resident or something like that, it tends to go over a little bit better because you've already established that rapport. I would say knowing people by their first name, greeting them, asking about their day, taking an interest in kind of what's going on in their life tends to build that community a little bit faster than as if you were a general manager and just stayed in your office and yeah, hopefully paid the bills to the properties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And being that you're in the student housing world and have been for quite mm -hmm. some time, imagine building community with a specific age group with people that are new to living away from home sure. uh, is important so that they have a semblance of respect for the property. Absolutely. And I guess that goes hand in hand with business development, establishing those relationships, knowing that they can reach out and you've established that, that line of communication. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Fostering that sense of respect for your property, they're more likely not to do something that affects the asset if they know, hey, Teddy knows me or they know me. Why would I want to set forth that, that experience upon them? Yep, so, definitely. Yeah. And then tied to building community. Having a meal with people is a great way to do that and get to know oh, yeah. people. So if you were to have somebody over for dinner, what would you make for them? I am a big fan of ribeye steaks. Okay. Um, we, uh, My brother got us a grill for our wedding gift. So I that's sitting on the back patio. Even though it's in Kansas, there are certain days of the year in which we do have good weather. 
the negative 25 cold snap that we had a couple of weeks ago was really bad. That That's probably the coldest it's ever been um, that I've ever experienced. But yeah, um, I can I can be up there with the grill masters, medium rare, ribeye, or your preference of steak or chicken. Definitely, it'd be a it'd be a grill grilling f- feast for any guests that came over. Awesome, a good barbecue is a great way of to gather course. people. Kansas City is known for barbecue. That's, that's uh, true. That's the epitome. That's yeah. true. But yeah, yeah, if you're ever in town, yeah, feel free to stop by. Awesome. Yes, mid Midwest. I've been there a few times. I actually started my career in St. Louis, working for okay. Purina, oh, selling Purina, dog yeah. food. See, I'm originally from St. Louis, but I don't claim St. Louis. I claim Kansas City, but that's for a different podcast. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, if you were to kick off your day with a cup of coffee, what would you drink? Yeah, black with sugar or Splenda. We also have a little latte machine. I'm spoiled by my wife. She's figured out how to make lattes on her espresso machines. Definitely like a vanilla latte would be a go-to. Yeah. Nice. Are you a coffee drinker, Evan? Yes. Every morning, a black cup of coffee. Although today I did have some oat milk based creamer. I stay away from the dairy. Yeah. Not a fan of dairy. (laughs) This person right here can't do it. So I I stick away, stay away from that. I feel like it's a staple in the student housing industry that you have to drink coffee if you're in student housing. I think it's just, it's very synonymous with you wake up, you grab some coffee and you go to work and you grind it out, but you need that pickup in the morning. First, you got to grind your coffee before you grind it. (laughs) Exactly. We would have a Starbucks machine at the property and these machines are massively expensive but you know what a great amenity for the residents to be able to come to the office grab a cup of coffee and it's actual starbucks like pike's place coffee and that that's forcing them out of their apartment building that community like you were talking about yeah and getting them out of their uh, that that space yeah it's funny you like coffee i i enjoy coffee I've yeah. had a lot of guests that have not enjoyed coffee and I'm, I am confused by their ability to function in the world without their coffee, but they've powered through, they've made it work. Yeah. Thanks for participating in those little fun questions. We even got a little bit of debate going here in the comments about coffee and what they like and don't enjoy about that. Like Amber, yeah. when I inter- interviewed <laughs> her, she was like, not a fan of coffee. And I'm like, yeah, Amber and I used to work together at yeah in a former life. So great. When you talk real estate, multifamily, property management, and then you talk student, the world shrinks down to like small industry. Yeah. So I'm sure you guys all know each other. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. These are good friends, past acquaintances, yeah, former colleagues, current colleagues. So really great people. I'd love to kick off by just hearing a little bit about your story, how you started, how you got to where you are, and some learnings for you along the way. Sure. Believe it or not, real estate was by accident. It was not something that I had even really considered. You know, my my undergraduate, I was doing biology and chemistry, and my parents wanted me to go to med school. And from an Egyptian family, there's a lot of pressure from parents and probably people of the same culture and of the Eastern culture probably feel that from their parents. 
that they have a set expectation in their mind and then they're wanting you to execute on that. And that doesn't necessarily end up being the case most of the time because there's some rebellion there. It's like, I don't want to go to med school, yeah. but I had always enjoyed the sciences, biology and chemistry, did my undergrad in both. And then to help out, I was working on campus. I was part of the residential life team at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Started off as a resident assistant, just making sure that our floor at the residence hall was catered to taking care of the residents, you know, being a resource for them, pretty easy going. It wasn't really, it, you get a stipend and then you got some rent taken off your room and board. So it was like a win-win. It was like, yeah, that, I like interacting with people, being a resource. And it quickly developed into something much bigger than I ever even imagined. It ended up helping people that were going through mental illness. It was helping people deal with deal with issues that they had, both academically, personally. So that resource, what they had advertised was just being a resource, but it really turned out to be more than that. And I made some really lifelong friends in that aspect. And to tell you the truth, it was like the greatest, greatest thing that could have ever happened. So that quickly turned into me investigating, what is this? Managing on-campus housing, what does that really actually mean? And I ended up understanding that's higher education, you know, higher education with an emphasis in student affairs, student affairs being helping out students with any aspect or any affair, any issue that they may have at the university level. So managing on-campus housing, and I understood that there was a master's degree that was offered at the university. It was a two-year degree, and I had already been working at the university. The university said, hey, we're going to pay for 75% of your master's degree if you go ahead and you go this route. I was like, okay, cool. Let's, nice. Let me just take one class and understand whether or not this is of interest. And I took a student development theory class, very, very much theory-based and the development of the student and what it takes to take a student from one section of their life to the next. And the rest is history. I fell in love with student housing, student affairs, and it really student of uh, higher education is an aspect of all of those combined. People go into education and teach at the university level. They work on the administrative side of the university, but then there's also residential life that is an aspect of that industry. So I ended up being at the university, finishing up my master's, graduating with my master's and implementing what I had learned and the previous experiences into managing the on-campus housing for the university, ultimately. Spent another couple years there and we actually opened a brand new apartment complex on the University of Missouri, Kansas City campus and helped with private-public partnerships and the the liaison between the university and the private management company that was set to manage the property. Uh, and that was really my first introduction to privatized student housing. And what we were able to do is fill it up and really create a good relationship with the university. And then the university ended up buying the property. So it was stay in Kansas City or open up and understand what other challenges and opportunities are out in the United States. So 
I ended up moving from Kansas City to Bloomington, Indiana, which was a distressed property. Ended up learning a lot about that distressed property and how to effectively create change within the property, not even cosmetically, Evan, just more from a transformation of how to turn around an asset without really spending money cosmetically. What do we do at the surface to really implement change from a resident standpoint, for example? So yeah. I went from Kansas City to Bloomington, Indiana, corrected that issue. They wanted me to go down to Arlington, Texas, went down there for a couple of years, Morgantown, West Virginia, huge asset there. All along the way, either switching a company or getting promoted in the meantime, I was up in Eugene, Oregon, had a great opportunity up there. I just actually got off the phone yesterday with a former owner of mine that was up in Eugene. He was checking in to see how everything was going. Those are the relationships that I'm talking about that when we're going through these life cycles, we're continuing to hold on to those relationships, even though they're not, they're not on a professional standpoint anymore, but yeah. ended up ending up in Lawrence, Kansas finally. And I got recruited to the Lawrence, Kansas property. And really what the recruiter had indicated was this owner needs a home run from someone that needs to turn this asset around hmm. and without really knowing what it all entailed. I knew that I needed to get closer back to family. Dad wasn't doing well at the time. And I got closer to St. Louis, just a, a three and a half hour drive from Kansas city. So I decided to go that route and be able to be closer to campus, knowing that I may be ending up in Kansas city someday. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we're here today. The same company that I started with seven years ago is the same company I'm with today, Campus Life and Style. And I started with them before they even actually started. I was with their ownership group for a little bit. And then he had created his own in-house management company, bring out the best of the best and really, really create such a powerful management company that really brings a lot of things to light Yeah, and do well. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you really learned along the way ways to fix properties ways to turn them around and also to, I think what you mentioned previously is like a secret sauce, so to speak, both yeah. in your company, yeah. but for you yourself also learning how to bring out the best in your people mm -hmm. and then impact your communities. Yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and your company and what you've learned. Yeah. So Campus Life in Style founded in 2016. We just had our seventh birthday here in January. So a fairly young company by all of the statistics associated with everyone else in property management, the businesses and every, all the other property management companies in the industry, seven years is still pretty young. Yeah. But what I wanted to touch on is the experience that backs up CLS is really unmatched, Evan. Um, my wife, she works for farmer's insurance. And if you know the tagline, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two really emits the style by which CLS handles things because they've seen it, they've lived it. The experience that backs up CLS is unmatched. Like I said, you got Jim Shoulders, you got Dan Shopey, you got Gary Dancy. These are the folks that helped take ACC public, American campus communities, right? 
the largest property management company, now Blackstone. These are the people that made ACC a powerful voice in student housing, right? It's like recruiting the founders of Apple to your startup. Can you imagine that? It's, hey, founders of Apple, come help me build my company. And they're ecstatic to do so, right? That's what Elliot Tamir, he's our, he's our founder uh, and co-founder of Vesper Holdings. And he's the one who had started CLS. He had recruited Jim and Dan and Gary, which are really, and Jessica Nix, which is our chief marketing officer. Those are your pillars. Those are the initial pillars of CLS. Matched experience. That's really what I can say. And those folks had similar stories to myself. They came up through the ranks. Jim Shoulders, which is our CEO for Campus Life and Style. He was an RA, just like myself. Started on that foundation, understood that helping students throughout the hard times, throughout their education, triggered something in his life to know that, hey, student housing is what I want to go after, right? I want to help build properties, build communities, just like you said before. That's the background on CLS. I know that a big part of you really preach is things around hospitality, almost more treating these communities more like a hotel experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we can dive into the secret sauce, right? And if our listeners have a piece of paper, I'd write these three things down because these are what is actually driving uh, success at CLS and you can implement at your property. And if you want to talk more after the podcast, we're more than happy to do that. But really CLS has a division of CLS called hospitality and training. I don't know of any other student housing property management company that has a division of hospitality, right? So that should tell you how important hospitality is to our brand, our mission, to what we do at CLS. So the first aspect of the secret sauce, Evan, and you want to write this down, anticipatory service, which falls in line with hospitality, right? Today, our customers, our students, our parents, they're well-traveled. They're not like the students of the past in which they're going from high school straight to college, right? These students are either taking time off to travel the world, they're going to Europe, they're studying abroad before taking that first semester to study abroad. They are well-traveled and their parents are well-traveled. They're going to the five-star hotels. They're understanding that hospitality is going to set an expectation so that when they come to your student housing property, they, there's the set forth expectation that they should be treated a certain way. And so they have a lot of options when it comes to student housing and where they live. And some of the hospitality elements that CLS has incorporated into their properties show our customers that they are respected than your typical student housing property that may be a C-class or a B-class product, right? Not only do we appreciate our students, the parents, also you have to strike a nerve with the parents and tell them that obviously we're going to take care of your, we're going to take care of your son or daughter. This ultimate dynamic shift into hospitality translates into better reviews, translates into better renewal percentages, better online presence. Instead of waiting for a customer to bring an issue to our management team, 
We're two steps ahead of the customer, right? That's what anticipatory service is. In our business, anticipating the needs of our guests can mean the difference between whether or not you're securing that lease or they're going somewhere else to take their business. And in some of these markets, that's the name of the game. That's part of the secret sauce. Making yourself so attractive that you understand what they need before they even need it is key. And I'll give you an example. You go out to dinner and you're at a five-star restaurant and the waiter brings you an ice water. You didn't ask for the ice water, but the ice water is good to go. They're ready to go for you. It's anticipatory service. Understanding that your customer may be a little thirsty. They're looking at the menu and just knowing that they're going to probably ask for a water. And even if they don't, it's just cordial of you to just do. And it's as simple as that in regards to anticipatory service. So our team, just to elaborate a little bit more, is trained. There, there's fundamentals and a curriculum that is set by our training department on hospitality. Every single month, there's a curriculum and anticipatory service is one of those. And then we dive into different aspects of hospitality every single month of the year. So it's not like it's one and done. It's a repetitive understanding of how to treat our customer day in and day out. So every single week they have part of that curriculum that fits into that overall uh, topic. And then from month to month, that is, that is the basis of the training. Nice. Yeah. And so anticipatory service, what are the other uh, pillars or that go with that? Yeah. There's another one that is beat the greet. You know, someone comes into your office and you stand and welcome them before they can even say hello to you. Okay. Same thing as if you're walking on your property and you pass a resident and you're the GM or you're the leasing manager and you just walk past the resident and you don't say a word to them. That's kind of awkward. You say, hey, Terrence, how's your day? It's a different dynamic, right? So you're saying hello, you're beating the greet. Before they can say anything to you, you say hello to them. Especially if you know their name. Especially if you know their name. But if, you know, introduce yourself. Understand yeah. how's their day going. Oh, I haven't seen you on the property. Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> and honestly, it also increases safety. Honestly, yeah. like yeah. knowing who's there and whether Absolutely. they belong. Who are you yeah. here to see? Not that you want to interrogate during that, but no. when people, it's one of those things. Like when you're in, when you're in a retail environment and you talk to somebody, it's part of loss prevention. Greeting sure. people makes them. Sure. They're like, oh, they saw me. Exactly. That means, oh, I can't get away with something. They know I exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, the other aspect, and I may have alluded that it's just office, but maintenance is also included into this hospitality training. And Good. that helps because really the real, the big question is how's your maintenance? Like when I have a problem, are they going to respond? So communication back to the customer, they're also learning about how to treat the customer from a work order standpoint, because really at the end of the day, maintenance has more interaction with your resident than anybody else at your property. Absolutely. And I know that, that that makes sense until I said it, it's quite fascinating, right? Mm -hmm. They're entering the units more times than not. They're doing quarterly inspections. They hear from the resident and sometimes yeah. they're creating that rapport that's a very much needed with the resident as well. I was able to give my two cents on what I thought were trends in 2023. And yep. one of them was a highlight and a spotlight on maintenance. Mm -hmm. Big part of that is focusing on 
training them in customer service and maybe hospitality, because in order to retain people in your community, you have to make the people that are in maintenance more important because they are important. They need to know that they're important because so often they, they probably feel like they're kind of like on the back burner of importance, Uh, but they're really an important aspect. Yeah. You're leasing people and property manager may get you in the door, but who's going to keep you there? Sure. No, absolutely. And you're alluding to the second secret sauce, which is attention and focus to your customer. So it's great that you've anticipated their needs, but then you have to act on it, right? So attention and focus to your customer. When a customer or a resident comes into your office, tells you that there's an issue, you know, how long does it take you to respond, right? Whether it be by email, whether it be by a parent's calling in, it's that attention and that focus. And that promptness is what triggers whether or not that resident is going to have a good experience. There's issues every single day in class A properties, class B properties. doesn't matter if you're the brand new asset on the block. New construction has issues. It's about how you respond and how quickly you can handle the concern at hand. So yeah, very true. So is, are those the three? One more. One more. Uh, so one more. Executing and providing support to the asset that has issues. For example, we have our owned properties at CLS, and then we have our third-party management side, which I'm the director of business development for our third-party side, in which other owners have solicited CLS to manage their property for them. On the own side, we own and manage our own properties. So we don't take on deals on the management side unless we have the bandwidth to do. Evan, it's like we we want to keep the quality control at the highest it possibly can be. So it's not just about growing our brand. It's about treating it with quality as well. We treat all of our properties the same, whether it be owned or third party at the same level. We wake up every morning trying to take a look at what properties need support. And so it's one way to say, Hey, we're going to plan on doing X, Y, and Z, but you actually have to execute on that vision. You have to execute on that plan. And so we put 110% towards the assets that need attention. We load it up with support initially, um, get it stabilized. And then hopefully you can back off some of that support because it's been stabilized. And that really creates the good foundation for kind of what what drives success at the student housing side. Got it. So when it comes to, because a big part of your job is developing the business, right? Correct. Correct. So how do you approach that in light of you want to control quality? You don't want to grow too big, too fast, because that definitely diminishes quality sometimes. So how do you approach that? Yeah. So our training team, and we have a good talent base at CLS. Really, the only reason we actually started to go into third-party management is because we had such a robust amount of talent at CLS and we wanted them to be challenged. And so we have promoted a lot of folks from within on the management side, and that has allowed us the ability to take on more challenges on the third party side. But like I said, we've turned deals away and we've turned those opportunities away sometimes for the mere fact that the timing was just wrong and we didn't want any of our properties to suffer, both Mm -hmm. owned and third party. So it's a very delicate conversation to, to be had with our operations team and understanding 
how much flexibility we have and how much more bandwidth we have. We work really closely with our operations team and our executive team to really understand how much more business we can take. Nice. And then from a non-traditional standpoint, is that what you're talking about or is there something more to it? Yeah. So actually prior to us having a third-party division, I had made reference that there's a non-traditional business development piece that has really been really beneficial for CLS. And so prior to having a third-party division, I was working on the business development side of the leasing, right? All 52 properties, I would help generate additional relationships at the site level. So I would go and I'd travel out to a number of different properties that may or may not have a more challenging market. And I'd visit with the Dean of Students at the university. I've had the pleasure of visiting with presidents of universities, housing directors, alumni. It is just creating those relationships and letting them know that we're out here and we're unlike any other student housing property because our focus is to maximize the student experience. And again, that goes back to my higher education background, that it's not just a place where you eat and sleep. It's about the total educational experience that you receive when you come to live at our asset or live at our property, our community. You're going to get X, Y, and Z from us versus just a name on a roster or you're just a rent check to somebody else. What's the differentiating factor for you living with us? It's that community that we build at our assets. So that non-traditional business development, we've been able to really create some really long lasting relationships that have really been really fruitful in some really tight markets, visiting with student organizations and being able to give back to student organizations for the amount of people that they have living with us at our properties. We've been able to donate a lot of money to those student organizations. Organizations like the Indian Graduate Student Association, they put on a lot of resources for their students that are coming from India that may or may not understand the American culture. So they help those Indian students get their footing from when they come into the United States to what's it mean to open a bank account and get started here in the United States. And that's That can be culture shock. So that organization does a great job and we support them. That is at our property in College Station, the London. We have a long lasting relationship with them. And every year we say, hey, we're going to donate X amount of money as a part of our sponsorship agreement with them. So if you can imagine you're doing that across the board, 52 properties, you're creating these relationships with fraternities and sororities, different student organizations, both cultural, religious, non-religious. And when I was in college, I was a part of at least two or three student organizations, as probably you were as well. And for someone to be able to advocate and support it, both financially and from a marketing standpoint, those relationships really pay off from a leasing standpoint. Yeah. So it's really empowering the local staff to be able to see how can we support the local student body in different ways. Absolutely. We jumpstart the conversations. The local team takes it from there. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. So it's having an impact locally. Absolutely. And yeah, local impact, you're helping the community, you're helping the university in some regard as well, depending on what their needs in regards to housing is. Sometimes you're able to execute on group rates. So sometimes if they're able to bring 
10 or more people or 20 or more people at a time to your community, maybe sometimes you're able to offer them a discounted price because they're bringing X amount of traffic your way. Interesting. So like a student organization, you could say, Hey, your club. Absolutely. If you're able to get your club member mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. come over here to this community, we'll give you all 10% off per month or whatever. Yeah. And you would do that consistently so that it's fair and equitable sure, across sure. the board. You say any organization that brings 20 or more people, this is your price Got it. because now you're becoming a partner. You're being a supportive aspect of our property. And Evan, sometimes we'll have a fraternity house that's right next door to our property and they yeah. are at capacity and they're like racking their brains. What are we going to do? It's like, Hey, we will give you an entire floor or we'll give you an entire building that can be an extension of your house. And then your community is that much bigger. And then you're able to recruit and tell people about your, your fraternity or sorority and some of the philanthropic initiatives that you have as a fraternity and sorority organization. We've done that in Kansas. We've done that in Virginia. Really great aspect to doing it that way as well. Yeah, that's cool. There was one last thing, building yeah. real estate value. I don't know if that kind of some brings the whole bit together, but if you wanted to touch on that briefly. Yeah, well. so CLS, all of our team members, they're experts in repositioning properties that build real estate value for both our owned and our third-party owned properties. Our ability to turn around assets is really at the highest that I've ever seen in all of my experience. CLS has the ability to take a property that's not relevant, right? pretty dated, 70s, 1980s vintage in comparison to the market, do a major retrofit to it, rebrand it, rename it, and reintroduce it to the market at a great value and a great price and make it relevant again. This both helps the investors achieve the intended investment value and return that they were expecting. And CLS has been really great at executing that for its owners and for its third-party owners as well. All of the pieces that we spoke about, the secret sauce, the hospitality, the taking care of your residents, all of that plays into that real estate value, right? Yeah. And I wanted to share something that y'all may or may not know when you're talking about budgets and saving money. I'm going to write this out for you. Your NOI, which is the money that you've generated at the end of your budget, your net operating income, right? If you take that and you divide that by a cap rate and people say, what's a cap rate, right? A cap rate is what the property is selling at in your market. So different cap rates can be 4%, 5%, 6%. And it depends on what the market is selling at. Typical average is 5.5% cap rate. And so when you talk about $100, okay, at the end of your budget, you've saved $100. Wow, really great. But you know, that is a 25x value to your bottom line sales price. So if your property was worth a million dollars, right? It's for sale on a million dollars and you saved $1,000, you can tack on an additional $25,000 to your sale price. 25X, whatever you bring down to the bottom line. And that's a four cap. A five cap would probably be closer to 20X. So the higher the cap rate, the lower the value, lower the cap rate, higher the value. So when we're talking about reducing expenses or increasing revenue, those are the pieces that investors are looking at 
When you're able to reduce expenses at your property, you're able to increase that value by 20 to 25x the value. And it's like big deal. I saved five grand, but five grand savings on an NOI standpoint is a $125,000 price tag addition mm. to whatever you're selling your property at. So that's why building real estate value, controlling your expenses, controlling your revenue and increasing your net operating income is important from building a real estate value. Interesting. Now I know how to pitch my product. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like how much value is community boss bringing to the table? What kind of expense right. structure? How are you saving money for the property? And if your product is, let's say $100 a month, that's going to cost you $1,200 per year. But what kind of savings is that counteracting? Or and, revenue uh, it's bringing in. Exactly. So pretty exciting stuff when we're talking about building real estate value. And you're going to see not a lot of property management companies talk about that. They are just doing par, right? They're not smashing the goals. And so the dynamic at CLS is that we want to do the best of the best. You say, hey, we need to be at 95%. We're striving for 100. It's pretty awesome. I'm glad you found a good fit for you and that Absolutely. your skill set is being utilized in a big way there. I did have a question to share. So Michelle, I'm not sure if you know her, but she jumped on okay. and she's jumping into the student housing world, new to it, and would love to know if you might have some advice. She's just curious to know how CapEx and construction projects are managed or tracked in student housing. Yeah, we have some really great staff on our side. Our vice president, our CD vice president of construction and facilities, Santiago Corres. He is the pivotal point that really makes sure everything is running smoothly on our construction piece. We have a number of tools on the CapEx side, both property specific and corporate specific that are used. More or less, it's a really data driven spreadsheet that takes into accountability how much money has been spent and what money is to be spent. And there's just a lot of accountability associated with making sure that you're only spending the money you have and not going over budget on those projects. But to that question, it doesn't do you any justice to perform a CapEx project that's not going to build that value back into your property. It's like, Great. There are some things that are definitely you need to do. You stripe and repave the parking lot, for example. How much value does that bring to the property? Probably very little service. Thank you for not having potholes all over your property. But is there something else that you could do from a value add standpoint, right? Solar panels, three cameras, right? Other utility saving mechanisms, LED lights at your property, which would drive down your utility costs. Those are real savings that occur immediately. And I bet, Evan, you probably have some ideas from value add savings with your product, right? Absolutely. So we have the ability to generate revenue through your parking and through your amenities. Yeah. So you can paid guest parking. If you have retail parking, paid retail parking, overnight guest parking, all with the mindset of being fair and only doing it in a way that is still customer service centric. But we've got properties making five grand per month on parking. Five grand that they didn't have before. So Absolutely. that's really, what is that? 60 grand per year that they hadn't seen before. Yeah. What's 60 grand times 20 X? A lot. 
It's a lot of money. <laughs> That's the additional price tag that the ownership could sell the property for. And so when you're coming to you sell the property, I know the debt markets are really bad right now, but it's really hard to buy a property because there's a lot of inflation of those numbers. But when you can actually show, hey, you didn't have 5,000 before and I created $60,000 worth of revenue with very minimal expense to get that 60K. Community boss costs X, but I made 60K. The Delta is Y. It's a no-brainer sometimes. Teddy, it's been awesome. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thank you. Thank you for sharing some insight into not only what your company's currently doing, some nuggets that people can learn from that they can really apply to their job directly. I think, you know, it, what you guys are doing is very much in line with some of the books I've read regarding Hality and yeah. really giving a great experience to people from a customer Absolutely. service standpoint. If you jumped on late, make sure you listen back and hear some of the nuggets that Teddy shared because they're great. And so, Evan, I'll leave everyone with this. CLS is more than happy to jump on a call. If you're an owner or you're someone that is entering a market that you may or may not understand fully, our team, our experience, We've been in almost every market in the United States at one point in our life, not as CLS, but just as professionals. If you have a question about a market, we'd love to jump on a call and just brainstorm. What have you heard about that market? It educates us in real time on what's going down on the ground, as well as we're able to share our insight about certain markets and certain property asset classes. So. Yeah, that's awesome. So again, thank you for everybody that jumped on and participated, asked questions. We really do appreciate everyone that did that and uh, stayed through the whole live. So it always makes for a great show when we have some guests participating. Just like Teddy jumped on Boss Talks, you too can jump on and be a guest. I want to know what you're passionate about, what you have to offer, what have you learned along the way? And I don't care what your title is. We all have a story and we all have something to share to this industry. By all means, reach out to me and we'll make it happen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Boss Talks podcast. If you would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out via email at info at communityboss.com. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to like, share, and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also watch the podcast live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Community Boss LinkedIn or Facebook pages. Until next time, manage like a boss.